Hey, this is Ben Burr with Blue Ribbon Coalition. We are here for another episode of the Defend Your Ground podcast. And today we have Frank Whiston, who is a longtime member and enthusiast of four-wheel drive activities down in New Mexico. He is a member of the New Mexico four-wheelers who are members of the Blue Ribbon Coalition. And we invited him to join us on the podcast today because we have a comment period that's open right now for an area called Gordy's Hill. Officially uh, Johnson's Hill is Johnson's it, Hill. But locally okay. it's known as Gordy's Hill from what I understand. Yeah, Gordy's Hill, Johnson's Hill, very popular off-roading recreation in New Mexico. They've come out with some alternatives. Uh, and we know that Frank has a, a lot of background in this in this area, a lot of experience, and so we have leaned a little bit on him as we've developed our action alerts. Um, we're writing our formal comment now as an organization, and we do want all of our members and supporters in New Mexico to know what's going on here so they can participate. Um, and if you're a member of the broader off-road community or outdoor recreation community nationwide, um, if you do ever find yourself in New Mexico, this will probably be one of the areas on your bucket list that you'll want to visit. And so you'll probably want to make sure we'll, that we're all engaging in the fight effectively right now to keep it open. So um, let's go ahead. We have Frank Whiston with us. Uh, Simone, our policy director, is also joining us today. Um, so I'm going to turn the time over to Frank and Simone to kind of talk a little bit about this plan. Um, and Frank, why don't you start? I bet you have the most experience with this. You know this area. Why don't you let all of our listeners know, some of whom might be familiar with the area, many of whom are not. Um, let them know what New Mexico has to offer, why you guys care so much about this area, and why we should be fighting to keep it open. Okay, yeah, sure. Thanks for the uh, introduction there. Um, so, yeah, I've been involved with this area for uh, going on two decades now. A um, couple decades ago, uh, one of our club members was working very closely to one of the uh, recreational planners in the Socorro field, field office about this area. And that uh, individual uh, was very passionate about bringing a lot of tourism into the area and trying to uh, develop this area into uh, kind of what it is today. And uh, that was before there was any kind of designation for it to be an OHV area. So uh, our club members actually got out on the ground, actually took BLM GPS uh, tracking equipment and actually hiked a bunch of arroyos and stuff like that with these uh, with the BLM's equipment to map what potential trails would be and over the years we worked co cooperatively with the uh, BLM Socorro field office to actually start putting uh, tires on the ground on some of those tracks that we uh, we mapped uh, using the uh, BLM's equipment and uh, I think the first uh, part that I was involved with on that was we uh, opened up a trail that was called, called Coyote Canyon um, and I'm thinking that that was around 2005 uh, I was part of the group that put the first tire tracks on the ground on that um, and uh, we just continued to do that as a partnership with the BLM uh, that individual unfortunately for us 
Uh, I think he moved uh, to a different field office, probably for career advancement purposes, and was asked to work other projects. And uh, things kind of just stalled here. We didn't have a whole lot of interaction with the agency. Uh, but then the uh, in 2010, the resource management plan for the area was actually released, which was a good thing because it actually designated this area as a special recreational management area for OHVs. So that kind of put a pin in here saying that this is what this area is for, is for motorized rec recreation. And part of that 2010 uh, uh, research management plan stated that uh, the BLM was to designate a uh, trail system because current uh, current management right right now today is kind of a free-for-all if you will because they don't have anything officially designated um, okay. although I think the community is pretty well uh, keeping to uh, all of the routes and everything that we had submitted during the scoping uh, portion of this 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 project, and uh, most of that stuff was captured, not all of it, um, but uh, but that's kind of kind of where we are today now. And can you can you tell our listeners, Frank, what kind of um, riding is in this area, what type of trails, what level of expertise, just to give people an idea of what Gordy's Hill, Johnson Hill is, is all about. Absolutely. Um, so this area has uh, a long tradition of being uh, used by permit for some motorcycle races. And a lot of that, I believe, is kind of running on a lot of the ridge lines and stuff. You can, it's pretty obvious when you're out there, it's a little sandy and those, those routes tend to have all the whoops in them and everything. So it's pretty obvious where the motorcycles have been going. They may venture down into the arroyos and stuff, but uh, monsoon season and stuff comes, you know, water will come rushing down there and you won't even be able to tell that a vehicle's ever been in there. Um, but there is a, uh, a, a, a large diversity of difficulty of trails for four-wheel drives. That's what uh, I and, and my club are mostly uh, interested in. And really this is one of the closest uh, areas to have this concentration of what I would say extreme rock crawling routes uh, to the Albuquerque metro area. So we're only about two, this area is only about uh, two hours south from Albuquerque. So uh, it, it's very important there because it's probably, you know, I would say it's the closest spot to the largest population hub in the state for this type of recreation. But yeah, there's, there's not just the extreme, there's some hard trails, some that we consider moderate. There's also easy routes. Uh, and I would say that uh, at least with our club, more than half of our people uh, go on the easier, moderate routes and don't go to the harder or the extreme stuff. But uh, but it, and it offers all of that. That's something that, as I've talked with users in this area, uh, one thing that was brought up to me was some of these more technical and extreme routes. Um, 
they said they were concerned that they weren't being included with any of the alternatives proposed because unless you're an experienced off-roader, you wouldn't think that it would be a trail that somebody could use. And so that was a concern. I'm curious your thoughts on that. If, if some of those routes weren't included um, just because whoever was inventorying the routes had that lack of experience. Absolutely. I think that that can be a, be an issue. And like, like I said, when I kind of framed the situation here over the last 20 years, we've all obviously had some changes in the staff with the BLM that we've worked with. And we've worked with some, you know, obviously much closer relationship uh, uh, in the in the beginning. And then things have kind of dissolved and got a little bit better had some phone calls and discussions with uh, BLM folks during this, the, the scoping process, but I do agree that uh, the average person would probably look at some of the stuff that are extreme and hard people work on and not even cross their mind that anybody would try to drive a vehicle over those routes. Um, it's interesting, we, we uh, gave them all the routes that we're using uh, uh, during the scoping process and they actually uh, uh, included everything that we uh, submitted uh, as far as extreme trails. However, they did omit one of our hard trails that we submitted. It didn't even make it into the document. Did they give you a reason for that? Do you know? Uh, no, I haven't been able to find a reason. Uh, to be honest, I haven't reached out to them to to ask specifically about that. I did write and submit a comment. Uh, yeah. What's the name of that trail? That one we call Cat Scratch. Okay, it's everybody, little... Cat Scratch. We all gotta we all gotta ask for that comment. one to be put back in because <laughs> uh, this is the time to do that. I mean, we are at, at what's called the draft environmental analysis, and so we're scoping's over. But if there's still technical errors or just omissions that are might be oversight. I mean, you say there's been a lot of staff turnover. Um, those are the situations where sometimes we do see the BLM misses some things. Uh, and that's where our engagement can help improve the process. And so the cat scratch trail, let's fight for that one. Um, Simone, remind me what's going on with the different alternatives in this plan. It seems like when we talked yeah. about it, there are good things in each of them which isn't always the case. Like sometimes there's usually one alternative that's like kind of, okay, I guess we could live with that. And then a bunch of terrible ones, but this one seems to be like they're trying to make a good plan and we just need to give them some good feedback. Yeah, it's, it's not all bad. Um, there's um, some good from it. I mean, as Frank just mentioned, they included all the difficult technical routes. So I'm happy to hear that. So with alternative A, that's the current management plan. Um, and there's 138 miles that are open. And what it seems to me is happening, and Frank, you can um, correct me if you're if you understand it differently, if you're um, if this isn't the case, but it just looks like they're taking the mileage and they're designating it for specific users. Uh, so one of the concerns I do have, so alternative D is what they're lab labeling as the more recreation friendly alternative. Um, and with that, you've got 74 miles that are open to OHVs. It's two track. Um, and then you've got 54, about 54 miles that are OHV limited. And a lot of that is being designated as single track routes, which 
normally if it's just a single tra if it's already a single track route it's it's really not a big issue if they're just it's already a single track and now they're just officially labeling that and designating it as single track but from conversations that i've had with users in the area is some of those single track routes that they're designating are currently two track ohv routes um, and so i do have questions about why those are being switched to single track um, i'm still trying to understand how much just single track is offered in the area because our users do like to have you know the variation it's nice to have some single track some two track um, but there's been some routes that are now being limited to single track only that i do have questions about is that something you know about frank uh yeah and and looking at the alternatives there's uh definitely some of those that they're designating as single track only that are uh that we submitted during uh scoping comments that we use in full size four wheel drive so that kind of uh takes us by surprise a little bit that uh our scoping comments weren't heard in that uh in that respect uh, yeah, and I would like to know the reasoning. Why are they taking right. a, a a very obviously two track? It's used by uh, these larger vehicles. Why are they now turning them into a single track route? Um, and, are you and, familiar, Frank? Are there already quite a bit of just single track routes in the area, or or are single track users kind of limited? You know, I I don't really know. Uh, if there is a whole lot of just single track in the area, I'm sure there is, but that's not something that I travel and I look for. So I'm, Where, you know, it, it could well, be there, but I'm not aware of it. You mentioned the racing. Does that just happen on some of the more multiple use OHV trails or do they have specific single track race trails? And that I don't know for sure either, because okay. honestly, I haven't been in that scene and don't know exactly what they're using. You know, like I say, I, you come across some stuff that have the whoops in it and stuff, and that's obviously used by motorcycles. Uh, yeah. Our, our four wheel drives don't uh, create those whoops going five, 10 miles an hour. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's hard to tell because alternative A right now, which is the current management, it just has all 138 miles right. um, listed, and that's open. And I'm not sure what, what of those 138 are single track already or two track. Um, and so that's what we, we if anybody out there listening uh, has information on that, we would like to, to use that um, because th that, that'll help inform our comment as well. Yeah. But but for the most part, I mean, this is a better plan than I've seen uh, in some other areas. I think total, they're only proposing to close about 10 miles with alternative D and alternative C. So alternative D and alternative C are pretty similar uh, with... What's the reason for closing even those 10 miles? Because I found sometimes the BLM just feels like they need to close something to close something and that I'm always looking for, well, are there real specific reasons for this or are they just appeasing the groups that want things closed? Are there good reasons to be closing the 10 miles or is it just? So, so there's one that uh, kind of sticks out to me in their map that appears to be following a pipeline. And I think okay. they're closing that and wanting it to be administrative use only type thing. 
which is fine because uh, I'm looking at the map and I can see that there's uh, a couple other parallel routes that uh, they do uh, intend to keep open. Okay. So I don't see that as a huge loss. If anything, it's a loss to the agency themselves because the users tend to keep this stuff maintained and passable, where if you let it just atrophy, it uh, is going to get harder and harder to use. That's um, a good point. But, uh, but you know, that's probably a considerable amount of those uh, miles there. And I've got their... Uh, their uh, map up here and let's see if it allows me to click on it to see yeah and while you're checking it, that i think yeah. simone had said some of the trails were being proposed for closure was just because there was light use yeah so they do say that in the document that um yeah. they have light use so they're not concerned about concentrating more use into some of these open areas um but I don't think just light use is a reason to close them because obviously even, well, how do you define light use? First exactly. of all, that's and, pretty arbitrary. Yeah. And back to my comment earlier that during monsoon season, you get waters going down these waterways and you can't tell that anybody's ever uh, traveled it. That there was ever a road there all, to begin yeah, with. Exactly. It's, it's a wash and it covers up all the tracks. And, uh, you know, some of the stuff that they've designated as, uh, as single track only is in, in washes like that. Mm -hmm. And there's obviously nothing on the ground that uh, makes it so that a full-size four-wheel drive doesn't fit. Uh, you know, these are routes that were, we submitted as ones that we use uh, during scoping. And, uh, and that's a concern. And then yeah. there's another little little segment uh, that they've actually, uh, in all of the plans, they are uh, planning on flat out closing. And it interrupts a, it's a quarter mile of a route that we use probably, I would say 90% of our club's trips down there go over this particular route to get to other trails or just as a part of it. Uh, just arbitrarily closing this quarter mile section i looked is at that route. in a riverbed because yes, another reason why they cite closing some of these routes is because they're in riverbeds yeah but we had a uh we had uh one of our club members actually call and ask because they kept referring to route reports in the uh, ea but they weren't available and uh he called and asked about that and under the document sections on their uh, NEPA site, they uh, put a zip file with all the public route reports in there. So okay. we analyzed those and we saw nothing in those reports saying that they were closing it because it was in a riverbed or anything like that. The, what does the report say? Is there any justification or is it just, is this maybe one of those issues where it's an oversight? Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't see any, I mean, pretty much all of the route reports almost said the same thing they, so what is really, this does this route have a name or a number that we can also tell so yes it it actually has a number and let me get back to that and that is jh0032 jh0032 that's another one we want left open so that's, that's something that, you can put in your comments and that's part of uh, a trail that is con uh is known by the community as the hidden valley trail 
and closing that is actually going to close off access to a couple of hard trails that we normally travel from that arroyo bottom up gotcha. out of the ridge one of those is called yeehaw and then the other one is called bad hair day so okay. if they close this there it's going to do th three things to the hidden valley trail it's going to make it a dead end so every time we go and do the hidden valley trail we'll go up and go back and we'll put twice as much use on it as what we do today when we do it as a through route same thing that's going to happen to these hard trails we're going to have to go down them to come back up them so we're doubling the amount of traffic every time if they end up closing these does that create a safety risk i know some of these really extreme trails are kind of a one-way deal absolutely and then then is there t you know is there going to be room to turn around down that's what when i was talking to don who's with your gr your group frank uh he said sometimes we've got such large groups that we don't know if we'll be able to turn around if they they make it a one-way deal that we have to turn around that could be very problematic yep and that is something we are always concerned about in these plans is especially if it's an area where we have a group like yours that does regularly scheduled group rides um, there's races, you have these group events. We definitely want to make sure the management is accommodating that activity instead of creating a backdoor restriction of that group experience. Because it's the group experience is where most people learn the responsible use ethics of off-roading has been my experience. Um, and so the people that are out riding in clubs like this are always going to be the best resource for agencies to educate new and existing users for the best use. And if they start managing lands in a way that makes it hard for you to operate your group functions, they're, they're undermining a whole lot of other things along the way. Right. And so we appreciate what your group does. And we know I, I've been on enough group rides to know that you're doing really important work just by going out and recreating, by teaching folks how to, how to recreate responsibly. Is this, um, riverbed it crosses is that a, a running stream or is that still just another one of these dry washes that gets washed out all the time by flash floods exactly it's just a dry wash and okay. uh, it uh, periodically runs after a rainstorm and uh, you know it's going to be interesting we had a good monsoon season as soon as it cools down I'm eager to get back down there to see what it's done to some of the obstacles because it can change a trail after yeah. a big rainstorm. <laughs> I know up here we Simone and I both live up in Utah and I know there's a lot of areas around here that have been fundamentally changed in the last two months uh, based on the pictures I've seen. So what about camping in this area? That's another thing Simone and I have been tracking quite a bit across these management plans is that a lot of times you have an off-road area like this that's a several hours away from the population center. You, a lot of folks are going to want to come spend a weekend in the area. Is it pretty accommodating to that dispersed camping experience? Uh, is that something we should be looking out for in this plan as well? Or how do, how do people usually, how do they experience this area in that regard? You know, in, uh, for the most part, we, we do take day trips down here, but uh, down there, but uh, in the past, we have gone down and done some camping trips. Uh, we used to have a, kind of an annual trip that we would call New Year's Rock and Eve. So we would go down there and camp out. And over New Year's, uh, we would uh, kind of have like a little club event down there where we would uh, run trails over a weekend. 
uh, you know a couple days worth of worth of running and uh the 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 main arroyo as a matter of fact we've our club actually erected a steel sign uh showing this as the gordy's hill ohv area regardless of the blm wanting to close it or change the name to johnson hill <laughs> there's a physical sign that uh we funded and erected on the behalf of the blm that's right there by that camping area in the main arroyo but i also do agree that i think there's some other areas that would be receptive to camping and would be important to uh, some of the overland uh, type community where they could get back on a on a on a rougher route and tuck themselves away and uh, have a nice weekend somewhere and uh, this environmental assessment says very little about uh, camping particularly dispersed camping yeah and that's what we often find with these is they either ignore it altogether which creates an opening for environmental groups to come in and say you didn't take a hard look at this uh, what we see which is common is that they just allow a 30-foot camping corridor from the center line of any route so if you if you can get into an area via route you can usually camp off the side of the route adjacent to it and you want to practice your leave no trace principles and that overlanding community is the one who's exploring that experience the most and we're trying to incentivize them to get more involved in these processes because there's a lot of them uh, they're looking for that same kind of rugged off-roading experience combined with the camping and I, I was curious if this area had that potential it sounds like it does what else is in the area of this area? Like, are you getting down near White Sands and some of the other destinations that folks visiting this area might want to come turn it into like a multiple day backcountry excursion? Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, another thing is, is that, uh, have you all heard of the uh, backcountry discovery routes? Yeah. It has been oh, yeah. piloted by the, uh, uh, the motorcycle, routes. motorcycle routes. Yep. Um, this is fairly close to that. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, two years, was it two, three years ago, it was right when the pandemic was starting. I actually led a overlanding trip that we started right here in the middle of uh, Gordy's Hill. We traveled that uh, Quebadras backcountry byway that cuts right through it. Okay. And if you follow that all the way down, uh, it joins into uh, the highway that goes over to Carrizozo from uh, the Rio Grande Valley there. That's just above the White Sands Missile Range. You can take a jog on the highway and pick up that backcountry discovery route and run down the uh, western edge of the White Sands Missile Range. And we did that. Uh, camped out in some uh, Malpai field that's uh, just west of the White Sands Missile Range. Next day we drove around into Truth or Consequences and then head headed over into the, uh, um, let's see, that's the Cibola National Forest. Okay. And camped out uh, in the mountains uh, there on the uh, west side of Socorro made a big loop there so you know there's there's definitely other opportunities where not only you could be down here in the sand washes and doing some of these technical trails you can get up into the mountains and get into the high country and see some other other things 
in the area. Well, and I think it's important to note, too, I mean, from what I saw on on maps, there's like four or five wilderness study areas Mm. that um, kind of surround Gordy's Hill. And so that's why Gordy's Hill, the special recreation management area, is so important because it gives that opportunity for off-roaders when there's a lot of wilderness study area land that's managed around it. So um, it's kind of a smaller area that you can be on when you look at the broader scope. Yep. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing some of the secrets of your backyard there. <laughs> sure. Um, <clears throat> Well, so we so just so folks know, and we do have an action alert on our sharetrails.org website. We'll have a link to that in any of the posts related to this podcast. Um, we have until September. So comments are due August thirtieth tomorrow. Oh, tomorrow so, we have until tomorrow. Yep. So uh, this was a perfect. Quick thing. Well, we'll get this out today, um, and so you have till August thirtieth to get a comment in, and I. Our Share Trails website has information. You've now heard from Frank some of the on-the-ground information that we'd like you to add. I know that Frank and several others have turned in substantive comments, so the off-road community is going to be very engaged on this plan. But we want the BLM to also see just from the general users, not those of us who really get in deep with these things, that they just would overall just generally tell the BLM why you support this form of recreation, what it means to you, and um, you can share some of the points we've raised in our materials. Uh, so, Frank, before we close out, how many how many total UFOs have you seen <laughs> while exploring around the backcountry of New Mexico? I can't think of anything. Most mostly, what we see is uh, some sort of military exercise or something like that. See an Osprey aircraft or C one thirty doing a refueling exercise, those kind of things. That's really cool. And sometimes some helicopter operations, they go out on our public lands and do some training, those kind of cool things to see. But before we close, I want to kind of go back to some specifics on uh, some of those routes that are designated to be single track only. Yeah, please share that. Uh, So one segment is uh, the BLM is calling JH0012. That's part of our Lower Amato Trail, and it's basically the uh, the first part of it coming from a main arroyo up into that Lower Amato Trail. It leads up to an extreme obstacle that we call Pucker Falls, and I am not sure. It's probably been a decade since I'm aware of anybody successfully climbing that. It's a huge waterfall. It's the okay. hugest... Uh, I, I'm sure we have some listeners who are thinking challenge accepted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, uh, but it is a, it's a fun trail to go out. We rate it as moderate, so uh, it's 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 a very nice trail for people to go up to see an extreme obstacle like that and actually test their skills. It's moderate uh, until you get to yeah, exactly. Falls, right? <laughs> until you get to that. So in most most cases, there is a, a bailout route where you can. Uh, take off and go a different way before you get to Pucker Falls. So we don't have to backtrack or anything, but limiting to single track, the uh, it's basically the first, almost half of this trail is proposed to be limited to single track only coming from the main Arroyo up into, into that area. And then going on above Pucker Falls, uh, that's, uh, 
something that uh, we show is a hard trail. We call it East Pucker. And it is also designated as uh, single track only. And what that does is limit our options to get to the extreme trail that we call Squeeze Canyon. So that limits us to go to the very far south perimeter road of the OHV area to access that Squeeze Canyon Trail rather than being able to connect multiple trails together. And it also limits our ability to have some easier routes to get into the trail if we have a mechanical issue or something, we have to extract a broken vehicle. It really uh, kind of puts the squeeze on that kind of activity to be able to uh, perform one of those recoveries on a vehicle if we need to. Okay, that's and, really good information anymore. Like, this is the kind of stuff we definitely want people knowing about when they make their comments. So please keep sharing if you've got sure. more examples of this. Yeah, and, and that, that is also, uh, it continues on to the upper part of what we would normally transition into when we've run that Hidden Valley Trail. Uh, so this segment is known, uh, is marked by the BLM as JH0026, and that becomes what we, uh, our club calls Upper Amato, and that serves as access to a hard trail that we call Fred's Shortcut that would point you right into the Cat Scratch Trail that they didn't uh, include at all in the uh, EA. Um, so anyway, uh, that that's very important. That's all just in an arroyo bottom. There's no physical limitations for vehicle size or anything. My guess is, is the resource management plan says that the BLM shall mitigate user conflict. So they're making a map that has different routes on it to say that they've mitigated user conflict, whether it's happening or not. And like I say, the route reports, I didn't see one route report that showed any documented uh, instance of user conflict. So, yeah. And that's what we, we find a lot, the site user conflict. And when we contact local sheriff's offices and such, there's nothing ever documented that, that we can find. And so that's good to hear that you're unaware of any user conflict as well. Yep. It sounds like this might create user conflict. Exactly. <laughs> it, like, uh, generally, a multiple-use trail should stay multiple-use, mm -hmm. uh, and I don't. And I don't think the BLM and the Forest Service. I don't think they analyze enough single-track trails, and we hear that a lot from our single-track users. And so I don't want to undermine anything they might be looking for and want out of a plan like this. But single-track has such a small impact compared to. The, the two track and full size routes that let's build more of it. Not right. converting the existing multiple use trails to single track doesn't seem like the right answer to building more single track. And you have these new groups of e-bike users and others that are like the demand for that single track experience is just growing off the charts. They should be using a, a process in an area like this to be allowing the creation of additional trails not Absolutely. converting trails used by everyone to trails that only a few people can use. Yeah. And then there's another instance where uh, the, the BLM is proposing to convert a route to ATV only. 
and what that does is cuts out about 200 yards of a established route that we uh, use a lot. It's about a three, uh, three and an eighth mile long trail that we call Wasp Washboard Ridge. And they're proposing to cut out about uh, 200 yards of this to ATV only and break, break it up where we can no longer run that as a through, through route. Yeah, it sounds like they need to make some technical fixes to this because I, I can't. It'd be odd to me to think they're doing that intentionally, but that's yeah. Right. It makes me think that they're they're trying to just designate things um, uh, according to use, but there's some of it that just doesn't make sense. That I'm that we need to make sure that they get fixed um, yep. so that those routes make sense current users can still use them um, because some of these like you've said that you've been using and there's a history of use to convert that to single track arbitrarily I mean I'm assuming it's it's maybe some oversight they just don't know they're just trying to make sure each user has has enough routes that they're happy but but some of those just need to have a little bit more common sense it sounds like Right, and you know, I, I experienced this also with the travel management rule with some of the national forests in the state. And when you were talking about dispersed camping, designating 150 feet on either side of a route, that's the way the motor vehicle usage map comes out. But if you're familiar with that area, all of that land is like on a 45 degree angle. You're not gonna get 155 feet off of that route to camp anywhere, but that's what they designated. Again, I think some of our our listeners will be challenge accepted. <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't want to try to camp no, on the kidding. side of the hill like that. <laughs> no, you're probably right. I'm just messing yeah. with you. Well, good. Well, we really appreciate your feedback. Any final thoughts? I think we could probably wrap this one up unless you have anything important that we've missed. No, that's great. And I, I appreciate you uh, bringing this uh, to the attention to... Uh, the greater uh, population nationally and uh, giving me the opportunity to, to, to share this with everybody. Yeah, and we're glad to have you and people like you doing this work because we can't possibly be on the ground in every area. And if you're not on the ground, you can't fully influence a plan like this and fix the little technical flaws. And so you're doing invaluable work. We appreciate you and your organization. Uh, we appreciate your support for our organization. And we'll just keep working together to make these recreation areas awesome places to visit for the public and to go have adventures. So thank you for being with us and we'll... Yeah, thanks, Frank. I just want to reiterate to everybody to get comments in by August 30th. There'll be, you know, more comment periods as they issue decision notices and such, but that'll be months down the line. And overall, Alternative D is the best option but we do need to see some some changes and some fixes to to those routes and some of those specific trails that that you mentioned frank so we'll get all of that included in our comment and and put that out there for the public to comment on those routes as well so thanks for for your knowledge and expertise and sharing that with us <laughs> <laughs>